this morning open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. The letter of Paul to the Ephesians. And we're looking at verses 10 through 18 today. The whole armor of God, spiritual warfare, and the Christian's armor. Uh, It's not a very long passage, but it's one that really to fully explore could take several Sundays. But we'll we'll do what we can today um, to explore that. They'll read together. And I, I mean, I'll read. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that this is your word. Lord, for Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever, and we thank you for it. And pray that, Lord, as we look at this passage together, this truth of your word, that, Lord, you will open our minds and hearts and wills, O Lord God, to submit to you, Lord, and to partake of the blessings and the strength that you have laid up for us in Christ. Amen. So word pictures in the Bible are often used, figures and similes, things like that, You know, we hear Paul talking about those running a race or boxing or wrestling. Uh, You know, Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men, farmers, sheep, shepherds, sojourners, travelers. And in this passage, Paul uses the image of uh, soldiers prepared to engage in warfare. And in our passage today, Paul uses the image of a typically well-armored and well-known Roman soldier of the day. They were known throughout the empire. That's how they established the Pax Romana, which kept peace along all the roadways and cities and places for the most part throughout the Roman Empire. We are engaged in a spiritual warfare, brothers and sisters, against our formidable foe, the devil and his cohorts. And while we have abundant provision made for us to fight the good fight, we must commit as Christians, saved by the grace of God, to avail ourselves of the provisions that our Lord and Savior has procured for us, our spiritual armor. We procure that armor not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. So the four areas that we'll talk about today is be strong in the Lord 
put on the armor of God, the details of the armor, and the need for watchfulness and prayer. Be strong in the Lord. Now this section has to be read in light of the whole of Ephesians as a call for us to live out the gospel in everyday life, the gospel of cosmic reconciliation. Not merely, this is not just an addendum to the end to to pique our interest in the occult or the works of darkness or, or to stir up fear within us, you know, about the devil and all his works, uh, as many are prone to do. But it it is about our spiritual warfare. And so throughout this uh, sermon today, we'll refer back to several passages in Ephesians as well as uh, many other scriptures that address this topic. So Paul has earlier instructed us about the strength of the Lord in his prayer for the Ephesian church in uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. Paul there prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give to us a spirit of of, uh, wisdom and revelation that we would know him, that our hearts would be enlightened, that we would know what the hope is that he's called us to, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And this last part, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, And what great might is he talking about? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And he is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And remember, brothers and sisters, all things have been put under his feet. So when we consider this spiritual warfare that we're engaged in, let us remember that our commander, that our God, has already achieved the victory. Uh, As our brother Carl likes to say, the already and the not yet. It is done. It is done, but we walk through it in our life of sanctification and growth in the Lord. So God gives all the aforementioned victory of Christ and his riches in Christ, those riches that cannot be taken away, that moth and rust do not corrupt, And what kind of power does he promise to give us? Again, power and might that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in heavenly places. Something indeed for us to meditate upon. In this life, we will never completely comprehend the depths of the promises in this prayer. But know this, that in those times of great temptation to sin or to doubt, to despair, to give up, to be in anguish over your own sin that the one who calls us and suits us with armor and strength is the one who is far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, every name in this world and the next. All things are under his feet. And he is the head of his church universal. He is the head of Hope Presbyterian Church. He is the head over each and every one of us who belongs to him. And only in him do we find fullness of life. Do we believe? Lord, help us in our unbelief. Strength in the Lord always means trusting his promises and his commands. 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul addresses uh, this issue of spiritual warfare in uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 5. 
For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. In other words, not our own strength, not our own ways to try to figure things out as, as uh, um, you know, we're not trusting in horses and chariots, in other words. We are to trust in the Lord. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. And we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Put on the armor of God. Now as we look at these various pieces of the Roman soldier's armor, we'll see as we go through this, there's some overlap in the applications. Uh, It's not all just clearly cut and one doesn't overlap the other one, but... uh, and Paul writes in other place, another place, 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, he uses a slightly different imagery, and he says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, putting on the armor of God is to array oneself in the whole armor. The, the word was used as the panoply of the Roman soldier decked out in their well-thought-out armor that they used, and they were a conquering and a well-disciplined armor, uh, army. And we're to do that, that we may be able to stand, we may be able to stand our ground, to hold a place, to hold a position against the schemes of the devil. And, of course, uh, the devil is, is Diablos, who's the false accuser. The word means false accuser, the slanderer, the deceiver, and uh, his schemes or his methodia, the things that he comes up with to engage us in spiritual warfare. For in verse 12, Paul writes, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And it's the same word when you look there, the forces of evil in the heavenly places, the heavenly places, that word is the same word that described Christ's position in the heavenly. So do we fully comprehend what that is? No, I don't, I don't think we do. Uh, it's what the scripture tells us, that it all uh, engages in a, in a realm that we don't directly see, but we know that it's true according to the scriptures. The schemes, the schemes of the devil are the wiles, the trickery, the methods you know, the chief of which, the chief of which, I think we could agree, is hath God really said. When, it, when all of it boils down to the methods, it all comes in questioning God and his veracity, his truth, and his faithfulness. So some books and articles, you know, over the years have uh, been written that sensationalize uh, demons and their influence. There's all kinds of movies about the occult and things like that, even even books written by Christians, I think, take things too far. Those of us who are old enough to remember this present darkness, you know, written back in the 80s, I think, uh, you know, which had some usefulness, but kind of, kind of takes, takes things beyond uh, what we really need to know. But there definitely is a warfare that is going on. There definitely is a spiritual realm in which we battle. Jude and 2 Peter 2.4 confirm the existence of rebellious angels. And both of those texts describe fallen beings 
whom God keeps in eternal chains uh, until under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, which uh, Carl just recently preached on in Jude 6. And, uh, in Ezekiel 28, 11, and 19, the prophet Ezekiel describes Satan while prophesying against the king of Tyre. And the text describes the devil as a created being who was the signet of perfection and whom God cast out as a profane thing on account of his pride and corruption. Revelation 12, 9 identifies Satan as the deceiver of the whole world. He masquerades as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians 11. He blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4. For God's people, Satan is a relentless accuser who will stop at nothing to condemn us, Revelation 12. In fact, the Greek word for devil, again, one of the words that's translated there is slanderer, as one who has been a murderer from the beginning, as Jesus described him, and the father of lies, John 8, 44. It is his very nature to kill, to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. In the New Bible Commentary, it says in chapters 2, 4, and 5, Satan seeks to alienate people from God by disobedience, ignorant, and corrupt thinking. He causes divisions amongst people by greed, falsehood, anger, and related sins. And they are saying, there, Paul writes, that they are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So in light of all this, Paul again in verse 13, says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand, to stand against and oppose in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So he uses those words. The word withstand is a little bit stronger than the word stand. Stand is a, a, a Greek word. Uh, it's a histamine. A withstand is antihistamine, antihistamine. It's to stand against something, to take a position against something, to hold it strongly, to fight with all fervor, to keep from being moved off of that position. So this is, you know, in this particular passage, Paul is addressing, you know, our defensive posture against the schemes of the devil. Paul charges Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.1. You then, my child, be strengthened uh, by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So again, it's not our own strength, but it's by the grace that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. He encourages Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We could say share in the discipline of a good soldier in Jesus Christ. Because there is a... There, it does require discipline. It does require self-control. It does require commitment and to be willing to suffer, you know, in the Lord Jesus Christ. For he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. We have another charge from Peter, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be, uh, be vigilant, you know. I like to... I like aviation. I like to read about fighter pilots and all that, and especially in World War II, and they didn't have radar and all that stuff in the cockpit. You know, the thing that they always said, and the reason 
The reason those guys wore silk scarves, especially the World War I pilots, because it was cold and they had to wear these wool jackets. The reason they wear scar, uh, silk scarves was because they were constantly being aware. They had to constantly, so when you see those pictures of the silk scarf, it's not just a romantic picture. It's, uh, it was very necessary to keep their necks from being chafed and becoming raw. But they were to be sober. They were to be vigilant, looking up and down in every which way. And that's a picture for us, to be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And he uses the same word that Paul used, resist, withstand, stand against him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Christ himself, Peter also writes, after you've suffered, the God of all grace has called you. He himself, Christ, will restore, confirm, and strengthen, and establish you. For to Christ alone belongs the dominion forever. Amen. Details of the armor. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt was, uh, you know, the robe was kind of the standard dress of that day. The belt was used uh, when someone needed to run or to exercise or to conduct the duties of a soldier. The belt could be used to bring the lower parts of the robe to fold it up and be held in place uh, by, the, uh, by the belt. It was also the foundation underneath the breastplate of the Roman soldier. Now, commentators vary on whether it refers only to, to you know, theological truth or whether it it has also to do with personal integrity, walking in the truth, you know, uh, and, and walking in righteousness. But it really is both. Um, but because if we understand the truth of the gospel properly, then it will result, you know, in our lives growing in sanctification and walking in the righteousness of the Lord. Now, the soldier would not willingly go to battle without the belt because it's the foundation of his armor, and nor would he be put into battle without rigorous training and learning how to use all the parts of the armor that he has been given and learning the art of warfare. And so we, too, are to study and to be well-versed in the truth of the gospel. Second Timothy 3.16, uh, Brother Bill Holloman preached uh, two really good sermons uh, on the truth of Scripture a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. But all Scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for it is the truth, for it's used for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, for training in righteousness, walking in the truth, that the man of God may be complete. And here we have another word uh, referring to armor, equipped for every good work. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Focusing on learning the truth, abiding in the truth, and then walking in the truth. Ephesians 4.1 and Ephesians 4.15 I, therefore, Paul says, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, 
bearing with one another in love. 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So hence, we have an emphasis on uh, knowing the truth, which we equate with the scripture and the application of the scripture. So the emphasis in this church on knowing and practicing the word of God is, is reflected, uh, you know, uh, however imperfect we may be, the things that your leaders try to do is to engage us in the word, to know the truth of God. And it's reflected in our Sunday school. It's reflected in our worship liturgy, liturgy and the things that we choose to put in the bulletin. It's reflected in the preaching, in the catechism studies, and it's reflected in a commitment to congregational prayer as we gather uh, together here each Sunday, as well as encouraging prayer in small groups and at your home individually. The breastplate of righteousness. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Considerations. It refers to our standing in Christ as righteous and again as our growth and sanctification. One thing for certain, for those of us who are in the Lord Christ Jesus, we have the righteousness of Christ. And without the righteousness of Christ, without his righteousness, we're condemned to hell. The wrath of God already abides upon us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 3.23, we could view many scriptures in the book of Romans if we had the time, but all have sinned, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we are justified by his grace. That is the only way we are justified. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 1 John 1.8 says if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And even kind of a modern interpretation to that is like, can be, well, I know I sin, but I don't sin as bad as the guy next door. That's not, a, that's not a basis for justification. It's acknowledging that your sin separates you from the living God. And in fact, in that state, you can't fight a spiritual warfare because you're on the enemy's side. First John 1 John 1.8, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So we have a positive statement that we have become the righteousness of God. And we have a statement that it says it from the other way. That we're cleansed from all unrighteousness resulting in our righteousness and our righteous standing before God. God will complete the work that he has done in us. Philippians 2.13 it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1.12, he says, I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to complete that work that he has begun in me. So James 1.22 instructs us as we walk in righteousness, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The one who looks 
into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, will be blessed in his doing. And brothers and sisters, Satan's attacks can come to us in both accusation, uh, can be temptation to disobedience, and oftentimes uh, and, and uh, temptation to uh, feel condemnation. It's often a vicious circle of sin and condemnation. Satan will continually accuse us, but Jesus is our advocate. In 1 John 2, 1, John writes, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins. The advocate is one who pleads another's cause. Hallelujah. Think about that. We have the Lord of the universe who pleads our cause before our Heavenly Father. I don't know how it is for, for other guys who, who get up here and lead each Sunday, but the toughest times of spiritual warfare that I tend to have are Saturday night and Sunday morning. The, uh, <laughs> just the raking up of all the, the failures, the sins, the, the missteps, the, the things that you've done that week, and the accusation of how can you stand up there. And, and sing in front of you. How can you stand up there and preach? How can you stand up there and read the scripture, brothers and sisters? It's a, it, it's a battle. You know, it's a battle every week. It, none of us is immune to it. And so I encourage you, you know, that when you have those things, remember, he is the accuser, but we have our advocate, and you have weapons to, find, to fight back with. So let us continue on. Exploring those weapons. Shoes for your feet. The preparation of the gospel of peace. Now oftentimes that's uh, taken as a call to go out into all the world and with your feet shod and, and bring the gospel. Which, yes, that's true. That's what we should do. But here primarily, it's having our feet shod with shoes that enable us to stand firm. It was known amongst some of the soldiers that they could even... Uh, I didn't see a picture. I don't know how exactly how it's done, but they could make their own cleats by putting nails or something through the soles that would enable them to stand the ground without slipping, uh, you know, uh, much as a football player or, or a golfer who wears golf shoes with those little cleats to keep you from slipping. But it is a readiness. It is a readiness. Having shoes, the constant and firm standing of believers in the faith of the gospel and so striving and contending for it without being moved from it, that it may continue with them. That's from uh, J. Gill in the expository commentary of the New Testament. Verse 15, Paul's point seems to be that the footwear provides preparation for readiness or readiness for battle. Readiness for battle. To not lose our footing understanding the gospel of peace with God and enables us to withstand in the battle. The Revised English Bible interprets it, uh, translates it this way. Let the shoes on your feet be the gospel of peace to give you a firm footing. Romans 5.1 Since we have been justified by faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. The word stand there in Romans 5.1 is the same word that's used in this passage in Ephesians. The shield of faith. One type of shield that the Romans used was a large door-shaped wood and leather and metal. Made me think, those guys had to be really strong. Uh, at times, it could be soaked in water uh, in order to resist and quench out the fiery arrows uh, that would be aimed at them. It was made to protect the whole body and enable the soldiers to form a, a phalanx, you know, a, a wall with shields all around to protect on the side and shields held overhead to protect them from projectiles, you know, arrows and lances and rocks and things like that uh, to ward off all of those things. So in, in a way that speaks to us that our warfare, certainly the Roman soldier was trained in individual hand-to-hand combat, but they were also trained to conduct warfare together as a team. So we as a church, we as a church are called to conduct our warfare, to be conducting it on behalf of each other and together. So we cannot, we cannot will ourselves into being good soldiers. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are saved and that we are kept and that we are equipped for the battle. In all circumstances, it is faith. That's why Paul tells us in every circumstance, take up the shield of faith. All the way back in Genesis, we see that Abraham lived by faith. Genesis 15:1, Fear not, Abraham, for I am your shield, your reward. Your reward shall be very great. So what are these fiery arrows that are coming at us? Certainly could include uh, occultic things and, you know, paranormal things. But normal everyday life of the Christian can be persecutions, can be false accusations, temptations, worry, fear, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, selfishness, unbelief, sensuality, greed, malice, all of these things, you know, in some form or another come to all of us at some point uh, in our lives. And it is a daily battle that we fight uh, the temptations of the enemy. They are to be countered with faith, the shield of faith in the word of God, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you. Here's God's promise. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to men. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it, that you may be able to stand fast through it. 1 Corinthians 10.13, it's worth memorizing. 1 Peter 4.12, Peter says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4 says that we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who experienced all these things yet without sin. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help us who are tempted. That's another 
form of a shield, and that is the word of God, as we'll see in the sword of the Spirit. He is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, brothers and sisters, do we believe? Do we believe this? Put on the helmet of salvation. Ephesians 2.4 God being rich in mercy and the great love he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses has made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated. He has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And the truth of the gospel in this and many other scriptures it's by grace that we're saved through faith. So, you know, if we're someone who is not saved, who is not in Christ here today, know that it's not our work. It's not by getting better. It's not by being good. It's not by trying with all your might. But it's by yielding to the Lord Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, putting our faith in him and that all that he did, living a perfect life with no sin and hanging upon the cross and taking the wrath of God, in our place believing in that 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 is the way we are justified believing in the risen Christ that is the gift that God gives us not a result of our own works so that no one may boast in his own works so with the helmet of salvation with the gospel we hold the strong ground in Christ we are only called to stand and withstand And finally, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We strike back with truth when we are personally tempted to evil, when we are accused by the accuser of the brethren, when the church is attacked by false teaching, when the world refutes the church with its vain philosophies and ethical falsehoods, and by bringing the gospel to all peoples. For remember, we war not against flesh and blood. Christ the Lord, in Matthew chapter 4, in his great temptation and his trial in the desert placed 40 days of fasting. When he was tempted by Satan, what was his response? It is written three times. It is written. Again, why we need to uh, just delve into the word of God at every opportunity that we have. In the great allegory, the Pilgrim's Progress, uh, written in 1678 by John Bunyan, mostly while in prison. In chapter 3, uh, you know, we kind of go through the part where Christian has, he has uh, learned that his burden can only be relieved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he begins his journey to the celestial city. And he comes to the house beautiful. And in that house, he received much training and encouragement uh, from uh, the inhabitants there. And toward the end of his stay there, he's brought to a room, the armory, where uh, he is to receive the armor and receive training in it. And it says, Bunyan writes, upon the wall there were swords, shields, helmets, breastplates, all prayer, all prayer, and shoes that would not wear out. And Christian goes out, and he's immediately put to the test. He meets the foul fiend, the monstrous Apollyon, 
In Revelation 9, verses 1 and 11, the angel of the bottomless pit is called Apollyon, the destroyer. Christian says, I don't have any armor for my back. I'm shortening this up a lot. I wish I could have read the whole thing to you. But uh, he decides he has to make a stand. And Apollyon begins to press Christian with doubts about his conversion and whether it was really worth it to give up all the world and to follow a God who allows his servants to suffer and to give up all these pleasures that the world's promised. He says, because I can give you all those things back if you'll just follow me. Christian declines. Then Apollyon becomes the accuser. Well, you have already been unfaithful in your service to him. So why do you think you will receive wages from him, Apollyon accused? You almost fainted when you first set out, when you almost choked in the swamp of despond. You also attempted to get rid of your burden in the wrong way, and instead of waiting for the prince to take it off, you sinfully slept and lost your scroll. You were almost persuaded to go back at the sight of the lions along the path. And when you talk of your journey and of what you've heard and seen, you inwardly desire your own glory in all you do and say. Christian says, all this is true and much more than that you have failed to mention. But the prince whom I now serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. And I have obtained pardon. Polyon then attacks viciously and pins him to the ground And finally, Christian is able to find his sword. And he says, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, when I fall. I shall rise back. I shall rise back up. Micah 7, 8. And he again says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8, 37. When Apollyon heard those words, he spread out his dragon wings and flew away. And Christian saw him no more. He took the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and used it. Again, if you, there's a modern version of it. If you don't want to read the, that old English, but it's, a, it's an exciting book, and it's a very worthwhile book to read. But Bunyan concludes at the end of this story with this quote, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James 4, 7. So brothers and sisters, scriptural teaching about spiritual warfare, again, is not tended to conjure up unfounded fear of the devil and his work or to provoke unwarranted delving into the mysteries of the occult and darkness, but to awaken us to the reality of the battles we face in this life and the reality that in our own strength we fail. But with God's strength, through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall prevail. Finally, the need for watchfulness and prayer. Verse 18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. R.C. Sproul writes about this passage, All our warfare and all of our activity must take place in the context of constant, unceasing prayer. Just as a soldier on the battle line has to keep in constant communication with his general headquarters and his commanding officer. So the Christian who is on the battle line must be in constant communication with his Lord. He must be fully equipped with all the armor, but if he is cut off from personal communication with his own commander, 
you will be isolated and vulnerable. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. And pray, O Lord God, that for all of us here, that according to the riches of your glory, that, Lord, you may grant to each person here to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner beings, so that Christ may dwell in all of our hearts through faith, and that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. And, Lord, you are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Yes, Lord, you are able, you enable us to be suited with armor, and you strengthen us that we may stand and withstand firm to the last day. To you, O Lord, be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.